and he's holding like what I could best describe as a large wrapped baked potato with duct tape around it with a fuse sticking out of it. That's very strange. And I yeah. look at it and I say, that's a bomb. And he had a like a six month old baby that was crawling around on the ground right next yeah. to this fentanyl. Gets out of the vehicle, immediately presents over the top of the vehicle an AK-47 with a 60-round drum mag. Yeah. Um, and, like, his first thing he saw was just, like, crying. And, like, breaks your heart, man. Welcome to 1023 Podcast. From on scene to on air with those who were there. Before we get started, we want to give a shout out to an incredible company with an incredible mission that we're huge fans of, Primary Arms. Primary Arms is a massive online retailer of mission essential gear for firearms enthusiasts, professional shooters, hunters, law enforcement officers, and anybody interested in self-defense. They have a huge selection of products including firearms, shooting gear, optics, and so much more. By using their passion and knowledge of firearms, Primary Arms offers their customers world-class customer service and affordable prices. Primary Arms also has a government division. If you are a law enforcement officer in charge of acquiring equipment for your agency, Primary Arms Government Division can assist you with all your needs. They're also a Glock Blue Label program dealer, for those first responders and military interested in Glock firearms at a discounted price. For more information on Primary Arms Government Division and Primary Arms Awesome Products, stay tuned for 1023 Podcast's YouTube exclusive video featuring Andy Blauser of Primary Arms Government Division as he shows real cops the superior products Primary Arms has to offer for real-world use in high-stakes law enforcement operations. Lastly, the views and opinions of the individuals featured on 1023 Podcast do not necessarily reflect those of their employers or their profession. Viewer discretion is advised. All right, we're back from the break. Um, where we left off, we're just getting into Mr. Blauser going to the sheriff's office. All right. Take it away. So, did all the panhandle stuff. Uh, end up going down, getting an opportunity to go to the sheriff's office. Um Start up down there with the FTO program and, uh, you know, kind of a fresh start, right? You know, I'm, I'm married now, got this new career started, you know, starting to uh, start my new life. And uh, after all the, you know, we left, a, for brevity's sake, we left quite a few stories out of the panhandle. But um, first week, first weekend on my own, <laughs> this is a good story. Um, first weekend on my own show up. This is about three or four months after had occurred national okay. news. Yeah, that was a big, it was a, a huge one. deal. It was yeah. weird that I, you know, no one wanted that job that I got. Um, but <laughs> should have been a red flag maybe. I don't know. Um, but so I was out there first weekend on my own, end up pulling this car over and, um, car smelled like weed. So we're, we're looking through it. It was some, uh, some young kids. Um, we're on this curve on a major highway called 290. Um, it's this uh, two-lane road, 
with about another lane width on either side of, of shoulder. Pretty decent shoulder, actually, which I appreciate. Hmm. Um, but next thing I know, I look up and I see kind of out of the corner of my eye while I'm headfirst into this car, I see another, I see a vehicle approaching. Cause you know, as cops, you're always kind of trying to listen, trying to keep that situational awareness and you, the, the sound of a car that's moving really fast. It has a different sound to it, right? It's almost like a, like a, uh, like a train coming or almost like a whistle, right? Cause yeah. it's, it's moving, right? It's, oh yeah. You can hear like, or the... even just the rubber hitting the cement. Cause that part of 290 is a cement road. So definitely okay. you can hear tire speeds very, very well. Yeah. So I hear these people coming. I tell the two dudes, I get out of the car. I see that they're in my lane. They're not, they're not going over to the fast lane at all. They're over on the, the slow lane. And, um, I basically grab these two kids that I was searching their car and I push them down in the ditch. Right. Cause I'm, I'm think here they come. Mm-hmm. We're about to get hit. Yep. Um, and I had a Streamlight ProTac HL. <laughs> That's a good light. CR one, two, three, a batteries. <laughs> featuring one hour and 45 minutes of battery life at 850 wow. lumens. Um, so very, very nice little one inch uh, diameter uh, light. So not like, don't go and think I have the six cell mag light, the big you old, know, like, baseball bat mag light. Yeah. The Mark McGuire, you know, human rights violator, <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, it's, um, you know, little baby flashlight. So I am flashing the light at, I'm thinking somehow, you know, the red and blues that were there, even with my backup, you know, there was another uh, deputy there as well. Mm-hmm. Plus my, you know, shining my 850 lumen Streamlight ProTac HL at them. <laughs> um, they still didn't see me. So I kind of do one of these, like a little sidearm thing as they're going by. Mm-hmm. Was it out of anger? Was it out of fear? I don't know, man. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe a little bit of both, right? Because <laughs> this idiot, right? Yeah. How many times yeah. you're going to kill me and everyone here right now? Um so I, I tossed it like that, and because of the speed of the car, it went clean through the front windshield, hit the passenger in the chest, bounced off of him, and landed on the dashboard, still illuminated. Um, um. The car continues to go by. <laughs> they swerve out of the way. Yeah. They continue to go by, and they stop maybe 100 yards. No, more than that, because they were yeah, – They stop a distance. Hauling butt, yeah. Up, up – in front of me and I say, Oh, okay. They're going to come back, but I'm still here with my detained. Yeah. And again, rookie ish, the experienced cop in me now would have been like, Hey, you watch them. I'm going to go get them. Cause all yeah. I had to do would be like, what was that? Explain myself. Yeah. You know, basically give them a ticket for failing to, you know, vacate the lane, right, right. all that stuff, not a 25 miles an hour under the speed limit, mm-hmm. you know, not moving over, slowing down yep. that kind of thing. That would have been the move. Right. But instead they stayed there for a second and then they got scared and they took off. Okay. Well, they went up to campus PD and they're like, Hey, this crazy thing happened. Just randomly. We're driving by a bunch of cops. This guy just comes out and throws a flashlight at us. Yeah. Cause that's what happened. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's also, um, a historically black university that's there in, in the County as well. Mm-hmm. So on the heels of these guys happen to be black college students coming back. Yeah. It looks bad. Really, mm-hmm. really, really bad. And I'm like, Oh, great. You know, here I'm I'm here on my first weekend trying I just saved remember, I just saved my career yep. by doing the good time and and <laughs> in the first weekend. Like I I'm here yep. doing this. I was I was beating myself up over that oh, for a long boy. time, man. I still got the flashlight too, and it still illuminates. 
Wow. Streamlight Protect HL. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Streamlight. <laughs> Streamlight, they do good. That's coincidentally um, the one that I carry. So. Correct. We were talking about that yesterday. But, you know, do all that kind of stuff. Um, ended up making a name for myself. Um, I like doing uh, Jones here, actually, had really got me bit on the bug of um, focusing on narcotics interdiction, um, narcotics uh, enforcement. Um, as well. It's, it's one of those things where a lot of cops understand that narcotics is at the base of many, many crimes, a lot of domestics, oh, a lot yeah. of thefts, a lot of uh, burglaries and violent crimes have their basis in the need to fulfill an addiction, a need to fulfill for a drug. Yeah. Um, so, you know, especially in the small community when people go down on hard luck or for example, you know, get blown over by a tornado, there's going to be mm -hmm. drug use that follows that and the, yeah. and the outfall and the generational, you know, it's, it's all based on that. Yeah. So definitely got bit by that book, started building my name for myself for focusing on that. So I got the opportunity to get a canine. And so this organization called canines for cops, they, you apply, um, it's run by a, uh, lady, um, very, very nice lady named, um, she, uh, saw a story one time on the news of a Harris County deputy who had lost his canine partner to a violent, violent man, um, got shot. And they were talking about how, you know, they may not be able to replace the dog because of funding and stuff. So she basically formed this organization, got a bunch of people involved and they give out free canines to police agencies. That is super cool. Absolutely. And they also include the three to four months of training for the handler. They will also, cover that wow. as well basically the only thing they don't buy is the uh the insert for the uh the canine unit and then, you know the, okay. uh, the yeah. hot and pop and all that stuff sure sure yeah that was called hot and pop. pop anyway the one that pops the door and <laughs> yeah. turns on the alarm uh, and the dog starts getting, yeah. the, getting hot yeah anyway so started being a uh, canine handler which is really good because we have a major section of i-10 going through the county so it's a coast-to-coast -coast highway um so a lot of pass through a lot of good stuff to uh it be really advantageous to have a dog. So we started doing that, started knocking drugs back um, here and there. Um, a really, really interesting story, and I think it's uh, it's good to talk about. Uh, we had information. Um, there's a very um, popular restaurant in, out in the county uh, called Repka's. Uh, it's known for its crawfish and a lot of its uh, country cooking out there. Hmm. Um, so we kind of, you know, we've eaten plenty of meals there, so we like to spend a little extra attention, you know, making sure it's good. Um, end up seeing one night this RV, really torn up RV, um, sitting out there just on the side of it. It's got a big dirt lot. And I said, that's weird. And I yeah. go up to it and there's nobody there, but it's kind of looks like it's abandoned. It's not really put together. Like the hood's up, like there's pieces like all around it. Okay. And on the back, it has a picture, like an outline of two clowns. And it's been like sun faded. And it says cactus and twinkle toes clowning for Christ on the back hmm. of this RV. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of strange. So <laughs> I get up going in contact with the, with the owner of rep. Cause I'm like, Hey, do you know about this truck that's out here or this RV that's out here? And she says, um, well, you know, those are, you know, somebody distantly related to my family. They're having a hard time getting this thing working. They're going to be out here for a couple of days. Well, I identified those people and I know that they had a long history with us for methamphetamine use. So, that. so at this point, you know, um, I was because of the, just the situations in the department, I was actually more released from, uh, answering calls. Um, I was still patrol centric. So yes, if there's a bad call, canines going, you know, of course, yeah. find a job, pick something you do, but I was focused on non-call responsive being okay. proactive, which okay. I loved. That was my, yeah, one of my best jobs, me and Odin going out and just taking absolutely. care of business. I think every 
almost yeah. every real quick real quick just for the audience because i know people are are interested in this sort of thing what kind of dog is odin so he's i've heard him being called a czech shepherd so okay. basically he was born in belgium um his real name is nando van Korminahoff. um <laughs> nando is uh starts with letter n which was part of his litter all of his brothers and sisters their names start with n and day Korminahoff is the kennel um, over in Belgium, of which he was produced. The wow. big dirty secret in um, canine is over in Europe, dog sport, uh, so IPO, French ring, uh, Schutzhund, stuff like that is is major to them. You know, okay. that yeah. and soccer, right? Yeah. Some of them is national <laughs> sports. So they start to try to breed these dogs with bloodlines. So Odin's bloodlines does have IPO um, elements in it, but they're rejects. They're the ones that weren't going to really? make it as the good sport dogs right because there yeah. says sport dog stuff is like almost like the ballerina of of or like the okay. figure skater okay. i would say figure skater is a better word mm-hmm. of of the canine world and then your canines are the hockey players right okay. so they're the yeah. ones that you know it's just like any other business like if you're raising cattle right so if you yeah. got a litter of puppies you test them out to see what their titration level is to see what their prey drive is if they don't have it are you going to keep feeding that puppy right yeah no so you're either going to get rid of the puppy right then, or you're going to try to recoup your money yeah. by selling it on the back end market to I see. law enforcement or military yeah. places where you can train a dog to right. do police work. So that was Odin's story. He failed <laughs> all that stuff. He went over to be military trained, um, and then he was a kennel biter. So he would get overly amped up, and he would start biting kennels. And so his teeth were all jacked up. He actually, when I got him, he had a titanium tooth. Really? But- it's a free canine. Never looked a gift canine in the mouth, right? So yeah. <laughs> um, this organization got him to me, which I'm very thankful for. And we uh, we started going to work. So um, yeah, it was it was it was definitely an experience to have. But going back to this RV, yeah. um, we were waiting for it to uh, to move. So I'd sent some of my my rookies on it. Um, you know, hey, check on this mm-hmm. thing every yeah. once in a while. Well, of course, you know, we get a deputy who gets in a foot pursuit at north end of the county. So we go, you know, I go up there with the dog and he says, oh, I got him. Everything's good. So I turn around and come back right as that thing is trying to move off. Well, the cool thing about it was is they tried to repair the drive shaft with bailing wire. So they oh, yeah. made it like about, I don't know, 200 feet. And the <laughs> yeah, thing broke work. down, dropped the drive, you know, the, the drive shaft down onto the ground. They're not moving anymore. So they bring their other car that they had and now they're in the middle of the road. Now they're mine because mm-hmm. you can't be <laughs> just sitting yeah, in the yeah, road. You can't just At least got to go up there. So I say, hi, <laughs> how are you doing? You know, yeah. and I can't say their names, but, um, you know, very familiar to me. I say, hey, yes, hey, yeah. hey, buddy, how you doing? Yes. And so I go up to him. I identify him officially and then uh, take Odin out, start doing his thing. He hits on the car, hits on the um, on the RV. So I had my partner with me, uh, my human partner, and uh, he started uh, – <laughs> detaining them, holding them up. And we start searching this, this RV pretty quickly, find the meth, find the scales, start searching it more. Um, and I hear my name being called kind of panically from outside. Cause he was searching the car. Mike was, um, down there, my, yeah, my partner. Yeah. And he goes, Andy, Andy, get out here. And I was like, Oh, what's going on? So okay. I get out and he's holding like what I could best describe as a large, wrapped baked potato with Hmm. duct tape around it with a fuse sticking out of it that's weird that's very strange and i look at it and i say that's a bomb (laughs) 
I said, I said, put it down. So he puts it down on the hood. And I say, not there. So he picks it back up and walks it out to his field. Um, just so happened, um, one of the best sergeants I ever had, uh, Sergeant Steve Tucker, um, he served over in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan with the military. Um, and part of his uh, responsibilities was uh, supporting EOD. Right. Um, he's part of the 10th Mountain Division. So um, cool. So he knew about a lot of these things. So I call him up and I say, Hey man, um, pretty sure me and Mike just found a bomb. Uh, what should we do? He says, well, don't touch us. So we're a little beyond that. Yeah. we. But I instructed it. him to take it out into that field over there. So we're kind of holding it down. Uh, well, the other thing that, um, happened during the course of all this is I was discovering the large amount of, uh, what does the penal code call them? Obscene devices. Oh, okay. So this yeah. would be um phallic shaped objects. Right. So yeah. toys of this nature. Um, right. anyone who's been a cop for any amount of time know that that generally goes with methamphetamine because <laughs> one of the symptoms of that is supposedly intercourse feels much better. Um allegedly. If you're listening at home, keeping score. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so we found a lot of these things and there's actually a <clears throat> excuse me, Texas penal code where um, if you have more than seven of these obscene devices, then you are uh, presumed to promote the same. And uh, that's actually yeah. uh, something you can detain someone over. Yeah. Right. It's a so, really weird law, but yeah, it's there. Absolutely. So we had all of that. So we have, uh, we have, <laughs> you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I finished up my story. It was a long night. <laughs> it was a long, we really, it really was a long night. We, we were out there for a while, but um, you know, I have this guy detained in the back seat, and he asked me, he says, officer, you know, deputy, why am I being retained? I said, well, retained. you're not being retained. You're being detained. He says, why? I said, because <laughs> you have too many obscene devices. You got too many dildos, man. Right, he goes, right. only half of those are mine. I said, well, I found 19, and that's still over seven, so... <laughs> you're being detained Be as we may. had way more on them but that was just you know yeah. the interaction at the time but yeah. um of course whenever you're dealing with situations like that you know well to finish we called our sergeant we ended up calling hpd barm squad yeah one guy came out with his truck hmm, this dude okay. shows up with a not wearing nothing but a um a uh like a outer vest carrier with yeah. uh with plates and two like 18 inch long sticks of c4 just sticking off of his back. Oh, and okay. he has like a little helmet on. He just shows up, said, what's going on? And he has like this little x-ray machine. Yeah. And he, uh, he like, you know, we give him the rundown. He goes and x-ray. Well, before he x-rays, he says, is there any like orphanages or anything over there? Cause he's about to blast all these rays out into this field. Said, no, just a bunch of cows. He's like, oh, okay. Okay. So whatever. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, farmers. But he just, he goes and does this thing and he can see, um, it's basically was a uh, 30, um, or excuse me, 308, uh, bullets that they had, um, remove the projectiles from the casing, yeah. dump the gunpowder in there and uh, had mm. wrapped it up. So he uh, ended up diffusing this thing, cutting it open. And yeah, it's a straight up IED, man. Um, wow. So we ended up, uh, ATF ended up picking up that case and uh, we ended up going to federal court over it. So of course I'm sitting in federal court uh, yeah. talking to a federal defense lawyer yeah. um, being interviewed on the stand. And I have to explain the uh texas penal code about uh obscene devices and <laughs> how many there are because it was mentioned yeah. in the body cam so always remember yeah um, if you want to get cute <laughs> with the penal code it's not necessarily the best thing we end up winning yeah. the case and all that stuff um well it's this, just, there's weird things in the law that's written where like there's things that are technically illegal and that's a good example where like you have um like you have too many sex toys on your person at once and that's that's illegal okay 
weird stuff like that and 99.9 percent of the time no cop anywhere is out there like looking for that stuff right. and trying to enforce that but whenever you've got someone who's involved in other criminal activities such as you know having meth in this case having and an you, ied right like that becomes a good tool at your disposal to be like hey there's this really obs- obscure law, but it gives us the right to detain this person. It gives me time. It gives me time. Yeah. It gives me a little bit of breathing room so yes. I don't have to be perfect 100% at that moment. I can exactly. have time to investigate, time to figure out, time to ask questions, time yeah. to look stuff up, get returns back. Yes. And actually solve the crime because who knows what these yahoos are going to do with mm-hmm. that bomb, man. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you kind of leading into that. Like, did you ever find out during the course of the investigation what their intention was for this device? When it, I mean, you know. When it comes to methamphetamine use and some other drugs in that category, you have a lot of altered mental state. And of a lot course. of times when people try to get off of methamphetamine, they will also have retain a lot of that altered mental state. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've all have meth head stories. That's true. I was actually <laughs> there in the birdbath incident of, uh, oh, yeah. of uh, 2014 <laughs> uh, that was mentioned uh, mm-hmm. in an earlier episode. But um, when you're talking about altered mental states, it, it's it's just as random as, oh, they saw something on the Weather Channel and now they think the government's after them. Yeah. Um, and they're going to oh, go, yeah. we, just to be real brief with it, I had, you know, when K2 um, synthetic marijuana was real popular back in the uh, 2011, 2012, 2013 real time frame, it was, it was really bad right when it became illegal and you couldn't get it um, virtually anywhere anymore. You had a lot of black market stuff pop up with it and they started mm-hmm. changing the uh, substances that they were putting in it. And we had ki- I had a kid out here who uh, got an apartment, ground floor, and had pickaxed um, his entire um, foundation around everything but his bed because he was convinced that the uh, CIA was coming up his um, his drainage system and poisoning his shampoo. And to his credit, okay. his hair was falling out. But <laughs> it's that kind of stuff, man. So you're talking about what were they going to do with the bomb? Okay. Who knows? Was it going to be good? Like they were just going to take it out on the 4th of July and set it off in the field. And so I asked the bomb guy, cause mm. he would know with the way they wrapped it. He said, if that would have gone off, anyone within a 50 foot radius of that device would have died because you wow. have 308 projectiles coming out with all yeah. that extra powder, all that extra junk in there. Plus it's compressed. You got yeah. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Super dangerous. Absolutely. So um, we went to federal court, we ended up winning on that stuff. But um, that's just the kind of weirdness that, that happens in something that you don't learn in an academy mm-hmm. is working through those oh, situations. No. Yeah, yeah. And so um, moving forward in history, I guess one of the major things that happened at, at that place was um, it was Thanksgiving of 2017. And my wife was super pregnant like really, really pregnant, like about baby could come out any day. So my folks were in town, um, yeah. staying at our house in, uh, in Texas. Um, I end up getting a call from a former deputy that wasn't even working at the county anymore. And he had said, Hey, did you hear about shots fired? And I said, no, I hadn't heard that at all. And earlier in the day we had heard of a, a state trooper getting shot and killed in Fairfield, which is halfway between Houston and Dallas on okay. uh, I-45. Yeah. Um, was his name. Um, so I saw that, you know, we had actually had a group message going where we saw the Bolo come out and we had been messaging around one of the, uh, we have a state trooper that we're really close with who was a state trooper sergeant at the time. And we were messaging with him like, you know, wouldn't that be crazy if we found him, you know, that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. Bolo's come out all the time. Yeah. And it's something where time. you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to go do this. Well, 
um, my sergeant, who you guys should definitely get on this podcast. Um, we'll mm-hmm. talk about that more later. But um, he uh, he went out to 290, same road, almost the same spot where I threw that flashlight. Um, <laughs> he went out to that spot there, and uh, he just waited for about yeah. 15 minutes. And the vehicle description was, I believe, a um, champagne-colored Chevy Malibu. Well, okay. one came by and it was a little bit more blue, but it's nighttime. So, um, he worked with that description, gets up behind it and it's literally just 15 minutes on the side of the road and sees it, starts following it, runs the plate. Sure enough, That's it's, the suspect. Su- it's the suspect. Okay. So mind you, I'm off right now. Mm-hmm. It's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. Yeah. I am at home with my family. We just finished up Thanksgiving meal. I get this call. Um, what was happening in the meantime is what I'm explaining now. Okay. So my sergeant starts following him. He wants to wait for other units to get up to him. Another state trooper who was nearby was on his way. Um, same sergeant who served in the military. He was also one of our team leaders for our SWAT team. Um, so he had a fully automatic AR-15 with him. All right. Um, suppressed as well. Um, so he goes and uh, starts following the the suspect, um, Debrett Black. Um, pulls off um, the highway, not really running away, not really just playing it cool, right? Like maybe because mm-hmm. my sergeant hasn't lit him up or anything. He's waiting and mm-hmm. not really tailgating him anything. So he comes up to this other, starts turning off on this country road. They meander for about, I would say, mile and a half, two miles. And then he just random, he just suddenly pulls over into this driveway, dirt driveway easement in front of uh, somebody's uh, property there. It's a house and a barn, a couple acres. Um, gets out of the vehicle immediately presents over the top of the vehicle an AK 47 with a 60 round drum mag. Right. So, all right. So my Sergeant pops off, I think it was like one, two, three, and then flipped it to fully automatic and gave it the whole thing. Right. At this point, the guy had ducked down mm-hmm. and he was behind the car. So the car is perpendicular to my Sergeant who is engaging him this way. So shooting okay. through the car. Yeah. Yeah. So when this happens, the guy, the Debrett Black had actually gone down and gone prone and dropped the weapon and had crawled off into the bar ditch and off underneath the barbed wire and started taking off into the darkness of the field. My sergeant, in the time that he engaged the first time, had pied around behind his vehicle to try to get a better angle on him and flank him a bit. He had already run off into the field. Well, by this time, you know, everyone's coming. Mm-hmm. So he's holding what he has because he wants to have a controlled way to go around because he thinks he's killed him, but he's not okay. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Unconfirmed. He's not sure. And he can't yeah. see that over there. So we need someone to come around. I see. Now it gets interesting because at the time, this is about, I would say three and a half to four hours after maybe even a little bit more than that after the original incident happened in Fairfield and he had taken off. Yeah. So there was a specific DPS aircraft coming from Edinburgh, which is on the south border of Texas. Hmm. Um, it's called Spectre 219. It is a Pilatus aircraft with a uh, s- couple million dollars worth of surveillance equipment on it. It was oh, on wow. its way to Fairfield, and the intention was that they were going to run a grid pattern and yeah. basically lawnmower everything and just see, go check out anyone who was out there thinking this dude's out in a field somewhere who killed the trooper. Uh-huh. Well, at the the timing was so perfect that when my sergeant had found this dude and it finally went up the chain that yeah. we got this guy who's possibly our suspect, all that plane had to do was a left turn and we had air support within three to four minutes. Wow. Right. So this is occurring uh, north of a town called Prairie View. 
I'm all the way down in Katy, which is approximately 25 miles away. Okay. You were talking to me earlier about the Ford Explorer, right? Worst police car ever made. <laughs> ever made. Ever. So my my Explorer, because it had extra canine stuff attached to it, it was a lot of strain on the electrical system, a lot of strain on the battery. It would not be uncommon for me to have to jump my unit just to get to work. And then, I mean, replacing batteries, all this stuff, it was just nothing you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that night specifically it was it was dead so kind of bouncing around but i get the call that hey um have you heard about shots fire no i haven't i turn on my radio and i hear my sergeant asking for a canine immediately so okay. i'm there with my family and i'm like I, sh- I i need to go yeah because at the time i was the only canine in yeah like you're the so guy i was like okay i need to go yeah so i throw on my uniform i basically tell him like, I, you know, I'll see you later. Um, I go out to try to turn on my police car dead as a doorknob. Of course. Lucky for me, I did a lot of extra jobs and I had a police package Tahoe that was personally on no cages or nothing in it. Civilian interior, but at least my trunk space was, was cleared out enough that I could throw Odin back there. And we made a land speed record from my house (laughs) all the way to the scene with my lights that were installed in there. So Cool. We get up on scene. By the time I'm showing up there, there was every bit of 500 cops that had cleared out of Houston okay. um, and from pretty much every surrounding area. Kind of like the response we saw today um, uh, or yesterday from, you know, Parrington and surrounding areas, but mm-hmm. amped up to because we're going to get a bad guy. Yeah. So I actually had to break through per- three perimeters telling him I'm the canine. I'm supposed to go up, you know. Mm-hmm. So I get up there. Um, there's two SWAT uh, vehicles already staging up. They have the, they have Jabret black on the infrared. They'd found him in the woods. And the weird thing was, is that Jabret black is also former military and he was low crawling through the woods and it looked like he had a weapon with him um, okay. at the time. Um, and the weird thing was, is he knew where we were mm-hmm. on the road. Cause we were on the other side of the road, keeping a little bit of elevation of the road as, as um, cover and, cl- and uh, concealment. Right. And um, he was crawling towards our location so like you would hear the helicopter and the dps uh aircraft basically telling us um you know he's crawling towards y'all use caution stuff like that so about 10 15 minutes past he starts uh taking back off into the wood line and we finally get a response because the helicopter comes down really gives him some rotor wash and then they start announcing to him like hey come out yeah everyone's here give it up yeah so he starts to right Mm -hmm. so he starts to walk out of the the woods and so then everyone comes out we're all starting to kind of be up on him um but he was still i would say from the distance we were from him to the distance he was to the wood line he could evaporate in that wood line easily okay and at that point we still didn't know if he had something stashed because he was hanging out around these hay bales and he was to me, you know how you read people's body language mm-hmm. and like you can know when they have something on them because of the way their manner is in them toward it. Or when you ask them about drugs, if they look back at the car, like <laughs> little things, little yeah. things like, and you pick up on that and you're especially heightened whenever you're having adrenaline yeah. dumps like this and you're using your training. Yep. So I had snuck under this fence um, and I had my dog and I was pieing around and we're still about, you know, maybe a hundred yards, 150 yards from him and we're starting to close up. But I found myself, I was the only one on that side of the bar bar fence. Everyone else was just like engaging from the fence. So I was noticing I was in a little bit of, you know, 
if I went up further, I'd be in a crossfire. So I started pieing out, pieing out, pieing out, pieing out. If you started running away from them was my intention. Mm-hmm. Well, the one SWAT guy starts giving him commands and start getting down. He starts cussing at him. Right. And he keeps throwing his hands down like this. Okay. Like towards this, his waistline. Towards his waistline. And okay. so at this point I'm thinking like, okay, maybe this dude is trying to elicit. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's trying to elicit us to shoot him. Yeah. Suicide by cop thing. And also I just experienced very, very pointedly the racial tension that was in me at the time. Mm. I threw the flashlight at the car and here we have another black man north of who is probably about to get shot by cops. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that that was a motivating factor of what my actions were, but that was definitely a thought in my mind. It's a, well, it's a real risk. And he had also just killed a trooper. Mm-hmm. He was about to shoot. You know, he did, he tried to shoot my sergeant. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that he was not going to try to just take out the last one because he knows he's already screwed. Oh yeah. Once he gets yeah. caught, he's done. He knows that. Mm-hmm. So he starts reaching down. He did it like twice. I give my own commands for him to stop or I'm going to send the dog. Keep mm-hmm. your hands up and stay still. Yeah. He drops his hands one more time. I let Odin go. All Odin right. runs about 75 yards. He grabs him on the shoulder and he takes him down. I always had this thing where my dog doesn't fight alone. So I'm sprinting mm-hmm. right behind him. Odin grabs a hold of him. He has him on the ground. I start putting his hands behind him and he never made a sound. He never really? said a word. He wasn't screaming in pain. Nothing. He was just done. Hmm. I put him in. I, I tried to start putting him in cuffs, but I also wanted to remove Odin from him because he was no longer resisting. And of course, even yeah. though he had just killed a cop mm-hmm. and he just tried to kill my sergeant, I knew that if I left Odin on him, that would be bad. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. because what does your heart want you to do? Oh, well, the dude earned it. Yeah. Just know? let him eat him alive. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just leave him there. But you can't do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So took him off and. You know, next thing you know, all the SWAT guys moved up. They got them handled. And all of a sudden, I went from this, okay, I did my job. This situation's mm-hmm. under control. I did what I was supposed to do, too. Oh, my God, I'm in trouble. Like, I am I am so – I might have just screwed my career on this because I yeah. thought I sent him maybe in a questionable bite, you know? Sure. Well – Given the circumstance, I in the moment, yes, it felt – Right, and if and I would do it again, yeah. Given the, the same set of circumstances today, the way you explain it, it is very, very clearly justified and all good and everything. But I know that being out there on that scene and with some stuff that has happened in the past and all that, I could see I was gun shy at that point, man. Yeah, you know, it's I gotten burned a couple of times, you mm-hmm. know, and so my first it went straight to like, I it was one of those things where I should have been proud of the work that it took first of all to get there. Right. Yeah. You know, of, of training my dog, my dog performing in the moment because mm-hmm. I'm just on the dumb end of the leash. It was my, you know, he <laughs> right. went and ran, he did what he was supposed to do. Yeah. And those you know? dogs are incredible. Yeah. Like, and, uh, man, I just, I just thought I was, um, there I go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I did a bad thing, man. Yeah. And, uh, I just left. Like yeah. I, I talked to my sheriff. I said, um, was that bad? He goes, no, that was, that was freaking awesome. You know, yeah. good job, all that stuff. And I, I was so freaked out. I just, I just left. Yeah. And 24 hours later, my first son was born, you know? So I was just like, it's a lot going on. I'm getting teary. I just thinking about it right now, but it was like, man. And a lot of people don't understand. Like there was real danger in that. There was yeah. real, 
Oh, yeah. There was real risk in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know. And what exactly did you think you did wrong, though? Like, what what is it? Bad bite um, was the first thing in my mind. Um, there was a lot of um, more experience, like, SWAT team guys, you know, people who I thought were in control of the scene. But one thing I figured out in my later career is no one's ever really in charge of a scene. It's just find a job and go do mm-hmm. it. And that was my job at the yeah. time. You know, it's a chaos, huge scene, yeah. more cops than you've ever seen. If, if you're just standing around, you're doing something wrong, go find a job. There's mm-hmm. always something to do. Yeah. So I'm going to block this road or I'm going to stay in here. I'm going to be on this perimeter, you know? But yeah. your fear, uh, your issue was like, hey, you've been in trouble before in the past for minor yeah. things and maybe let's call it improvising. Right. And uh, because things aren't black and white in the law enforcement world, right. although in certain issue. departments and there can be issues yeah. with just not following the black and white. Sure nature of what they feel it should be Being completely within policy yeah, yeah. And, and so you're like hey that's not a textbook oh, yeah. you know if you read a book it on was out there yeah if you read a book on like canine deployments on suspects right um there's probably not a chapter for that scenario you just just, just spoke about Absolutely. and so you're like i've had these problems in the past for these things i'm not talking major things i mean these minor little right. things that yeah. most people in law enforcement know that hey you know you do that just like you i, I can't remember these minor things uh oh what was it? There were some super minor little things you were talking about that you... Uh, yeah, you know, just like little mistakes, stuff like that. You know, stuff that, yeah, you should have known better, but nothing that's like violating people's civil rights. Nothing that's like... No you know, Brady things. No Brady, Brady stuff. Lying. Nothing that, I mean, like, even if, like, a jury got to see what that mistake was and be like, right. okay, whatever. Well, and, and for the audience, like, Brady stuff, when we talk about something being Brady-related, um, that's just... Uh, I, I could get into, like, a whole... Um, really lengthy explanation on that, but really what that boils down to is if um, you're involved, if a police officer is involved in any kind of um, dishonesty where they're trying to tamper with evidence or hide things or lie about things or anything like that, then you basically end up on what we call a Brady list where that guy can no longer be trusted. None of his cases are going to go anywhere. He's discredited and, and that's a no go anymore. So Brady stuff is, is very serious, but you're not looking at anything like that. Nothing. No, like, absolutely yeah. well, not. Yeah. No. Essentially, what you're talking about is micromanagement of of, of supervisors, whether right. be sergeants or maybe two uh, policy heavy departments. Not that we because we need policies, we need right. standard operating procedure, right. we need all this stuff. I mean, that's it's it's very mm-hmm. helpful. Just like in the uh, event yesterday, you know, uh, breaking into NIMS and stuff like that, right. which is uh, emerging management emergency management type of things i mean that structure is all very very good yes but at times you have to improvise you have to um just think on the fly and it may not be in a black and white textbook of how you deploy a canine but because of past experiences of Mm. you know whether it be midline supervisors like a sergeant kind of micromanaging it or just departments in general uh via their policies right how they want things done you're like oh crap i'm gonna get in trouble for this and not even having time to uh, enjoy the fact of, hey man, me and my dog went and got this guy. One, we didn't kill a man. All right, right. we didn't we didn't kill a yeah. man. Right, he didn't yeah. kill a cop. He did kill a cop earlier, but in this right. in, in this particular incident, we took a guy into custody without hurting him, and right. he didn't hurt us. And that is the goal every time. Yep. Even if they have killed one of us, I mean, do we have a nature to be like, man, I fucked that guy. I wish he was dead. Sure. Yeah, and honestly, oh, in our course, mind, yeah. do we think that? Yes, but do we act on that? No. Did you act on that? No. Absolutely You not. simply improvised in a situation with your dog and captured the guy, yeah. and you didn't even get to bask in that. Mm-hmm. You you were afraid. Yeah. You had, and you left Thanksgiving dinner with your family. 
and uh, your child's fixing to be born, <laughs> yeah. right? And you to, to go help to go do <laughs> yeah. this, and not only help because hey, this guy killed a cop, but there's this crazy bastard running around, and who knows what he's going to do to society, the citizens, mm-hmm. the people that pay their taxes that expect us to go handle shit like right. that. For the most part, that's what most of the citizens expect us to yeah. do. Oh yeah, so right. you did all of this, but you were focused in because you'd almost been like, it's like a you warped in a sense because right. all these things have happened to you, and you're like. I don't know police. What that to me? What you just described is police work. Yeah, but all, people, cops that are listening will know this. It, it's almost come to a time where, in certain instances, certain departments or certain supervisors that are supervising you, police work is frowned upon. And hey, let's not do that. Let's yeah. just right kind of kind of do a hands off approach. Yeah. Let's uh, and just stay away from things and let things play out on their own, which could be very dangerous. And you're not yeah. solving a yeah. problem by catching a crook that way. Uh, a lot of times, I would say too that it goes beyond this particular situation, that set of circumstances that me, you know, Odin catching that guy that led to my exit from because what ended up happening was I went home. I'm literally next day. We're in the hospital, you know, it's time to have the baby and my phone's blowing up news agencies, um, different, people from my law enforcement past you guys even um everyone wanted to talk about it you know and I'm, i was yeah. willing to talk about it like i was like yeah it was it was crazy man like mm-hmm. i that's how cops kind of release some of that kind of tension it's like yeah. well at least i'm talking to someone who understands what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah. instead of like my wife i mean obviously she was focused on what she <laughs> having a baby she, she had something going she on it was weird i was like what <laughs> you, mean, you can't emotionally busy. fulfill me right now what's going on <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I was, you know, it was kind of a wild ride. Um, but uh, had used that as a marketing tool uh, to try to increase the uh, donations to um, Canines for Cops. It's great because yeah, if they're yeah. going to use oh, yeah. Odin's story mm-hmm. to get more money so more cops can get free canines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what no a great things. concept. So, um, you know, going into all of that they wanted me to interview with a couple of uh news agencies maybe even uh good morning america oh wow on that kind of stuff and i said i'm sorry i can't yeah. i'm here um i'm here doing this and what was interesting and one of the full circle things of me sitting in well we should probably got to bleep that name oh know? that's fine go ahead yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know sitting there and telling me that being a cop isn't for everybody. They got a call from ABC news um, because of calling over to them saying, Hey, um, because he had also donated dogs. They say, Hey, we had this kid out and go and capture these guys, you know, and you're the next, next kind of place over that he had, had donated dogs. to. do you mind doing basically like an interview on his behalf, talking about the program so we can at least get some PR out there for, for, uh, for canines, <laughs> for cops. And they said, yeah, who, who was it? Oh, it's, it's Andy Blosser. And the, one of the lieutenants at the time who was function, you know, key in, in my yeah. exit from there, yeah. he took that call and had to hear that <laughs> where, you know, I went oh, out yeah, and I, yeah, I was just like, <laughs> it just makes me feel so good. You know, it's yeah. the little things, man. I didn't, I never gloated on it or anything. It's the first time I'm really talking about it outside of just my inner circle of friends. Yeah. But it's, it felt really good, man. Oh, Cause they God, had to decline yeah. the interview because of the, 
they because of how they felt that that yeah. guy felt about me man it was yeah. it was nuts but that's just plays back into it about how cops perceive other cops and how we treat each other we are horrible yeah. to each other man well dude i no one hates yeah. cops more than me man like some of them are really <laughs> yeah, just like say. you know because you should be better and, yeah. and it gets well, we we attack each other you know we do. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's too much and that key point of <laughs> use that as and you probably got to bleep that name too probably that's fine but use that as a marketing tool got other cops jealous because all of a sudden oh andy is out here you know doing this canine stuff uh-huh. and he's being promoted you know on this you know going to um you know come donate for canines for cops come you know yeah. i went up going to a hard dog fast dog competition was at the houston livestock show and rodeo um to kind of push the thing um you know I had a lot of people started looking at me funny where it wasn't about my work that I'd done previously, all the drugs mm-hmm. that I'd gotten previously, all the cases that I'd done previously with my dog. Yeah. They were judging me because they thought that I was the one who was pushing my own name out there saying like, look mm-hmm. at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. And that's not the case. It's not at all, dude. And so <laughs> that, that really set things apart. And my sheriff at the time yeah. bought into that, that ideal. Really? Oh right. Gosh. So I kept on nights the whole time. Do you think that this the whole incident put a spot? It's like uh, put a spotlight on you that that Unwanted. turned out negative for you. And you, yeah. you hear things like like somebody that wins the lottery, which I mean that's a kind of weird comparison, but you hear about people that win the lottery and mm-hmm. it ruins their life. Yes. Yeah. And do you feel that 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 Here. I'm not saying it ruins your life, but do you feel that that again that I don't know if you want to call it whatever kind of spotlight you yeah. want to sure. tag with that? Yeah. Uh, do you think that 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 changed the course of your your, your existence at you know, it it put my head above the ground, right? So I can at least get it taken off. I wasn't in the trench anymore. I was like, hey, look at me, right? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of anonymity in, you know, going around and doing the right thing and being a good cop. You know, you almost yeah. will never know that they're there if they're doing what they're supposed to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but one thing that it really, that it really produced for me was um, – that was the first positive news in a couple, you know, in the last year and a half that he had had. Yeah. So you type in sheriff's office in the news and it's all, it's all mm. bad stuff. We're a bunch of racists out here. We're, you know, we just want to kill everybody. Of course. And then this Odin story happened and you, that's the second news story now. Like mm-hmm. it's something positive. We, we did our jobs and we did it well. Right. Yes. It's, it's look, you know, it's, it's some kind of redeeming grace. Yeah. And a lot of people that rubbed them the wrong way really that that kind of notion so um long story short it ended up coming to the point where the sheriff was very upset with the way i was running things he started um there was another canine handler that came up and got the sheriff's favor and started taking us to a different agency to go train well the problem is is my dog is dual purpose okay 95 percent of what i was doing was narcotics interdiction the whole odin story that just happened that's i only had three bites the entire time that was one of them okay we weren't bite heavy out there it was mostly narcotics detection right right so uh, we started going to these things where it was uh, patrol based classes man tracking man eating classes you know Mm -hmm. jumping in windows tracking through the woods stuff like that no dope work and so i started noticing whenever i try to take odin out on the highway he would start treating the vehicle like it was a threat um, or he was trying to do an extraction. So he would go up and start like kind of a half like sniffing thing, you yeah. know, a half detecting thing. And then he would grab the door handle. And one time he actually opened up the door and started like grabbing the seat with his teeth. 
like acting like it was someone he was biting. I was like, okay, we got an issue here. Yeah, yeah. we're backing out. We're done. Mm-hmm. And usually, when you you know you do the same thing, if your dog wasn't a hundred percent on board and you weren't getting the the you know he wasn't detecting anything, and if there was some kind of hiccup where you know he was detecting something but it looked funny, you would still send the car away because yeah. much better to send a dirty car away than pick a wrong one and start searching and be wrong. Of course, you know because that ruins yeah. your integrity. But of course, um, you know, kind of turned out to the point where. I was um, I was going to a different agency's training, and then I just eventually just started going to my own. Back to where I was, a different agency, the one that I was doing narcotic stuff, and my my stats started going up, and I figured, you know, hey, we weren't really being supervised in this thing because they had no idea about canine. Mm-hmm. So um, as long as we were getting results on the street, they pretty much left us alone. Uh, but they were pretty adamant about what training we were going to go to. But mm-hmm. that wasn't really discussed until like three months later. Yeah. Um, I'm getting way off into the weeds on it. Long story short is they were accusing me of not training the dog, right? Which right. is wholly untrue. Mm-hmm. So um, get to the point where I go in and they're saying, oh, well, you're falsifying your time card because you weren't at training. I said, I was at training. I just wasn't at that agency. At I that was at particular- call this guy and ask him where I was. Yeah, he was here with us. What are you yeah. talking about? But they said, oh, it's not good enough. You were falsifying your time. So, you know. Hey man, and I was like, you know what? I've had enough of this. Yeah. I'm out of here. The reason that I went a step further is because it was the hardest decision I ever had to make to resign that because I knew that I couldn't take Odin with me. Hmm. Right. And Odin at that point, we were together for quite a bit. Um, you know, and obviously we'd been through a lot. Yeah. Um, to the point where um Trooper's widow, um, who I'll speak on her more here in a little bit, but um we would have frequent phone conversations and I would even talk to daughter um and video chat with odin because that's that's the dog that got yeah. the guy who killed her dad yeah you know that's, um yeah so i had that relationship with them and uh um i had that relationship with them and i had to give my buddy up you know yeah so i left and uh he got i had to take him to a kennel um Give me a sec. I had to take him to a kennel um, where I had boarded him before. And uh, I had a pretty good relationship with the person who ran the kennel. So they um, they kept in, in touch with me. Like, how's he doing today? You know, what's going on? Um, is he is he all right? Because I figured, you know, um, they were going to give him to another deputy over there. And I, I'm pretty sure who I knew who it was. And I, I knew he would be in good hands. But. Mm-hmm. There was that transition period, so I kept checking on well, my sure. boy. Um, and then one day, they uh, they just stopped talking to me. They said, hey, there's a lot of politics involved in this issue. It's like, what politics? And they're yeah. like, we're going to kind of step back, and uh, we're not going to talk talk to you anymore about this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. Um, so I pretty much said, hey, I made my decision. I left that department. I left my dog. Um, you know, I pretty much got to live with that. So I didn't. I didn't hear anything for like three months. Well, randomly out of the blue, I get a call from a uh, nonprofit organization. Um, I won't mention their names, um, but a nonprofit organization that rescues usually military canines because, um, you know, when they're done with military canines, especially overseas, sometimes there's no money to bring them back. Um, Okay. It's cheaper to leave them over there, destroy the dogs. Right. Um, So they don't like that. So what they do is they go and, buy the dog 
mm-hmm. and then give it back to their original handler if they want them. That's awesome. So yeah. this agency, this place had found out that they were not going to redeploy Odin and they were trying to play him up like he was aggressive, like he had been biting me, which only happened one time uh, mm-hmm. when a helicopter was coming by and that was my fault for sticking my hand back there. Okay. Like they were acting like he was some vicious thing that, you know, it, it was all just, I think at the end of the day, a way to get back at me. Yeah. So they had basically told this nonprofit organization, like we're about to put this dog down. Um, but if y'all want them, you can have them. Hmm. So this organization bent over backwards to try to find out a way to get them back to me. Um, all without my knowledge. So like I said, I got a call randomly um, about three months after this happened. And um, it was a deputy who had helped train me um, with Odin. He said, Hey man, um, do you know where Odin is right now? And I said, no man, I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, well, this is going to make you really mad. Uh, But um, they want to give them back to you. Um, and the sheriff was uh, trying to put him down. And so I was just like, man, I was I was one of the top most mad I was in my life. Um, and so I went up there. Um, I finally got him back. And uh, I'd never seen him uh, give up his belly. He's mm-hmm. super alpha, super dominant, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, his first thing he saw was just, like, crying. And, like, breaks your heart, man. Ugh. Anyways, so I got him back and I had to actually hide the fact that I had him um, for a long time because they didn't want the sheriff. They were scared of of that sheriff. They didn't want him to come back and, uh, you know, try to take him back or whatever. So I actually had a, uh, in the middle of the night, one night, a uh, random unmarked police car parked at the end of my street and somebody came up to my house trying to see if Odin was in my backyard really yeah (laughs) it's it was crazy man yeah um so in the midst of all this um you know um the organizer organizer of of that organization um tries to put me up for the hallmark uh hero canine awards for me and odin's story um and that did not you know that did not help the situation at the outset of things so like we're trying to be on the hallmark channel you know mm-hmm. to promote canines for cops and it's just not not ideal so i completely leave there um get odin back and by this time i was working for um, um as a constable and uh that was kind of its own uh interesting set of circumstances um because that was what was called contract uh deputy stuff mm-hmm. so um can we take a break for a second yeah, let's okay. take a break. Okay, we're back from the break. Um, took a break real quick, just kind of clear some stuff up, and we're going to proceed now with Mr. Blazer talking about this uh, situation with Odin. Had to get my uh, mascara back back <laughs> on. I was running down my face. So, Anyways. Um, heavy heavy no, stuff. I mean, it's, it's near and dear to my heart, man. So. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to, you know, getting Odin back, the first thing, you know, that he did when he popped out of the house is he saw me, he ran up to me and he rolled over 
and gave up his belly, which for dogs, you know, we're very, very much as canine handlers in tune to their behavior. Um, and for him to go from being the alpha that he was always trying to dominate me and I had to dominate him back when we were working together to, um, him giving up his belly and making that whining dog. And I was like, mm -hmm. like that. I've never seen it before. And I've never seen it since, um, okay. of him just, and I just felt so much guilt about like, I'm sorry that, cause I didn't know even who he was with at the time. They would never tell me what yeah. deputy he had. I knew it wasn't a canine handler. So who only knows where he was right. and what he was being put through, mm -hmm. you know, um, he was, like 20 pounds less than what I, what I had left him at. Like he was looking really? awful. His, his, his fur was falling out. Like he was stressed. So his health was deteriorating. They were, they were doing a great job at the rescue, but they had only had him for about a week and a half. Right. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, that is, that is one of the key points with me and Odin's relationship where if at any point I, I had mistreated him or the things mm -hmm. that I were accused of, of, yeah. You know, yes, I made mistakes. I was a new handler. Well, sure. Right. I had done things. We were thrown into situations, especially without the support of the county that I was working with, where you're just figuring it out and doing cowboy yeah. stuff on your own. You know, I, I, I was thankful that he came back into my life, man. Yeah. You know? Well, and it sounds like the stuff that's being said about your relationship with Odin not being good and Odin not getting along with you, biting you and things like that, like all these things that are being said in this moment are pretty much completely disproven like right and you know to take it a step further i mean he plays with my kids in the backyard all the time my one and a half year old yeah. my five-year-old they've grown up with him and he has never once has mm -hmm. been aggressive or anything he's completely retired now but yeah. yeah um you know sometimes the lord moves in mysterious ways and so i was working and i was hiding odin this whole time to try to save it from the sheriff and i'd already you know moved on to uh, mm -hmm. the constable's office and I had to no Facebook posts, no real telling people, you know, outside of my inner circle that we had them, stuff like that, because we didn't want any heat to come back on the organization that saved them. Right. And um, one day I just randomly get a phone call that the sheriff had died of a massive heart attack. Really? And um, it had gotten so bad um, before that that I actually had to give Odin back to them. Really? Um, to keep him up there so that they, if anyone came and looked and checked that he would be up there, that only lasted about two weeks. And then the sheriff died of a massive heart attack, um, stressed out about that. Cause he was up for reelection as well. And he thought that this Odin <laughs> thing was going to blow up in his face. I think it was some of it. I'm um, sure that was going to factor in. There was yeah. some, I'm not saying it's the main issue by any means. There was a lot going on out there, but I was sure I'm it didn't sure. help. Yeah. But I mean, just. Wow. And after that, like within two days, like I had Odin back with me and he's still with me today. <laughs> and then never had any more drama with it. Never, Nobody ever tried never, to say you did anything right never. after as soon as he as soon as he was moved on, like it was hmm. night and day difference. Yeah, and as so soon was, as that sheriff was, and was I had gone never I had never up to that point in my law enforcement career had the vindictiveness after I'd left an agency. I've had my problems with supervisors and administration and brass within agencies, but to sure, have it yeah. follow me beyond where I hear somebody tell me in my exit interview or whatever that was, you know, if I had my way, you would never work in the state of Texas in law enforcement again. Where have I heard that before? Hmm. Well, that was at, yeah. that was at my first agency that I went to. So <laughs> we're going to bleep that agency name out. Yeah. Right. That was at my first agency. I was at, so I'd heard that before and say, okay, watch this. So I started off, um, was contract deputy, which was the most boring job I've ever had in my <laughs> life. I was in a master plan community with a brand new 
600 mile 2018 Tahoe and we weren't allowed to really use them. You know, oh like gosh. we can go yeah. and help the county. Like it was something like right next to your contract stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was not fun. Okay. So I worked that for a while. We got on stuff, but I still somehow found a way to get a little street level drugs going. And yeah. so no one else is really producing that. So it's like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this guy yeah. knows how to get drugs and stuff. I was Whoa, like, imagine oh, that. that's amazing. Cops being cops. Yeah. So I, I started doing that. They ended up putting me as kind of like a, um, I wasn't responsive to calls and I wasn't responsive to a contract. So I basically had the precinct, which was pretty huge uh, okay. to run and go do narcotic stuff. I had one night where uh, we used to always go and eat at Denny's and we were just coming out of a Denny's and you know, it's pretty late in the night. No one really wants to do anything more. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to see this car coming out from the home Depot across the street. And he does like this U-turn and then his car dies in the oh. intersection and then he turns it on and then he just lurches forward and he just goes on his way. And normally you'd just be like, Oh, that was weird. Yeah. But I was like, that guy didn't, that guy didn't move from his spot until he saw us coming out of the Denny's and then yeah. he was panicked on his manual shifted car mm-hmm. and he crashed it. And he's, so he dropped it. So I just go and yeah. do a community welfare check on him because he yeah. stalled it again at the light. And I was like, Hey man, you're obviously having car troubles going yeah. on immediately smell the weed. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, so I, I pull him out start doing the start doing the um you know talking to him and stuff yeah um start searching the vehicle yeah open up the back and we have a box full of uh Jesus Malverde and Santa Muerte uh paraphernalia uh okay. you know like coated with uh, dollar bills uh pasted yeah. to it stuff that you know is actually that they were involved in that religion now right. i don't believe in you know um religious based um uh, interdiction like those kind yeah, of signs and symbols yeah. are a good like hey you're maybe in the same neighborhood but it's not right, necessarily yeah. indicative of you know drug use well this time it was okay so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i find all this stuff and i asked the dude and i was like hey why why is this in the back of your car this is obviously not yours he says oh i'm just borrowing this car it belongs to the guy i work for who's up at the hotel off the highway Oh, okay. I said, where's your car? He's like, oh, it's parked at the hotel. I'm like, you're actually telling me all this? I'm like, great. I said, well, what are you doing out here with somebody else's car? And he actually just straight up told me, he's like, oh, I just gave 40 Xanax bars to these kids down the street. I was like, okay, great. Okay. You're under arrest, um, detained, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, So where is this hotel? So I figure out where the hotel is. We go set up surveillance on it. I end up passing it off to um, Texas Department of Public Safety, the uh, CID division. Okay, yeah, narcotics yeah. division there. Uh, actually, a former trooper that I worked with, I called him up and said, hey, here's what I got. Can you go yeah. up there? So they ended up sitting up on the house. They, um, I take the dude to jail um, for, um, I think I found I found a couple of Xanax. Oh, I remember. It was, um, he had a, um, like maybe four or five grams of cocaine in the center console, but the one that's underneath, like, you know, okay. some Chevys yeah. have that, you they know, the little, like second little, the little yeah. second compartment. Mm-hmm. There was some down there. He didn't know it was in there. Okay. Well, tough nookies, you know, can't <laughs> yeah. prove that. Yeah. Um, so it took him to jail for that. They follow, they wait for him to be released from jail. When he comes out, they follow the guys that pick him up to the impound lot, follow the impound lot back to the hotel, confront them at the hotel, at the hotel, they um, find more cocaine on one of the females. They go and get a search warrant for the hotel room. Inside the hotel room was about 85 pounds of counterfeit pills, plus a ton of weed and signs that they had been stealing and robbing um, mm. smoke shops. Okay, yeah. So a pretty good lick, right? And that yeah. all came from just taking <laughs> it that extra step coming out the Denny's. Yeah. You know, and so that kind of put me in a place where 
now I really have a name. Yeah. You know, I can pull that stuff out. Yeah. I've actually done it now. Of and course. so, you know, it went from there. So then just for brevity's sake, and it's really not important, you know, ended up happening. The constable started getting into some political issues at the agency I was working with and it became time to leave. He wasn't okay. going to win re-election. Yeah. Um, he, one thing to his credit, he was very uh, proactive, yeah. heavy. And the one that was coming in was seeming like he wanted to go more to the don't rock the boat, sit in okay. the smile and yeah. wave in the contracts. Yeah. And that's not my style. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't yeah. handle that. Uh, me neither. So, so it ended up happening that the guy who had trained me in Odin to begin with mm -hmm. became the sheriff of really yes he had <laughs> he had actually won the election and became the sheriff okay so i went back and worked for him and i figured okay finally yeah we've been through all of this yep. right now i got my friend who's literally the sheriff mm -hmm. right like not saying i had any special treatment but i'm not right. gonna but have this him. dude yes i trust him yeah and i still do yeah it's just you know, I finally went through all this and now I've paid my dues. Now I can be left alone in law enforcement. Right. Yeah. So I was on the street for six months and then the opportunity came up to join a HIDA task force, high intensity okay. drug trafficking area. Uh, for those who are listening and don't or are not cops, it is a branch, uh, underneath the DEA drug enforcement administration, uh, that basically uses local cops to do a lot of the work that a DEA agent normally would, but it becomes a force multiplier because you know, your area better than a federal agent would that may be from Tennessee or New York or wherever, right. yeah. you know, your local area, they get the good end of the deal because they're not having to pay you DEA money mm. yep. you get to do the job. So that's what task force officers generally do. Um, and the same story is true with, you know, your FBI, your, uh, ATF, uh, secret service, whoever has a yeah. task force agency. So I was part of that. Um, it was called the West side Hida task force. And it was, um, it was formed by a very, 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 uh, talented uh, lawman and someone who I deeply respect. Um, uh, I don't know if I should say his name on here because he's still very much active, but uh, um, works out there in a and um, he's um, he was able to convince the DEA when he was a T TFO and uh, Congress that um, they needed to form another HIDA. And from what I understand, that is an extremely rare thing to have happen. Okay, uh, so yeah. there was a Haida that he was able to form that covered um, four counties out there. Uh, so um, awesome. So 3,200 square miles um, also contained another, uh, probably the most successful interdictor in South Texas, arguably, um, who I won't say his name as well. Um, but sure, yeah. uh, super, super talented guy is between the LPRs plus his own intuition and his interviewing skills is getting loads that cops would dream about weekly yeah. and they're not whispers. It's he's, he's one of those guys that's so good that everyone just accuses him of whispers, but mm -hmm. then you look at it and it's all organic. You might want to explain what whispers are. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. so whisper stops are every once in a while you'll get a agency or a narcotics task force will call patrol mm -hmm. or um, sometime, you know, usually patrol and say, yeah. Hey, I need you to, find probable cause on this vehicle and you know stop them Shut so that down. we can yeah. we can go and do an investigation because they are attached to this this and this and this yeah and for those who also don't know probable cause is absolutely transferable between cops so if i mm -hmm. have another cop tell me he has probable cause to stop a vehicle and he tells me that i yeah can trust him yeah by the letter of the law and we do yeah um so 
if you go and knock somebody down and then they happen to have 10 kilos of cocaine in the back, well, that's a whisper stop. And while, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all fine and good, you didn't produce that situation. Right. It's not yeah. all on your own. You you were tipped off, basically. Right, and it's not it. like that discredits it or anything no, like no. that. It just describes um, the level of skill that somebody has yeah. to produce these stops in the first place, to make yeah. a non-whisper stop or what we call a cold stop, which Correct. is any yeah. random car throw a rock out there, yeah. um, and you stop them, and they end up having a large right. amount of narcotics. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, cool. um, so yeah, I got to work out there with them. Um, very very interesting and totally different from anything i'd ever done it was something that i was aligning my career um to do for a very long time was was this high level stuff and we did a lot of good work you know um we serving warrants um a lot of clandestine labs um getting pills out of the hands of of kids in high school uh working informants um that kind of that kind of work um but it's also, you know, it was very taxing mentally as well because you see you see how deep the drug problems go and then you also start exploring more. It's almost the same transition a patrolman would have when he starts being a detective is you see how inefficient the justice system side of things are, the courts. Yeah, no right? doubt. You know, the um you know, what they're what a prosecutor wants to know about mm-hmm. what what makes a prosecutor excited about a case to yeah. to go and and investigate and to go and pursue mm-hmm. and it's 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 very very frustrating to see like I have this problem is very very bad for the community but we may or may not be interested yeah. in pursuing that case so I'm like okay yep. so you really got to kind of like decide um where you want to be on you know are you going to push and try to shove these, these cases down the prosecutor's desk mm-hmm. and keep putting them on there? Cause it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Or are you going to be this kind of guy who just kind of goes with the flow? Right. So obviously mm-hmm. I'm going to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. So I kept getting frustrated with the fact of how slow everything was moving. So like, for example, we would uh, do surveillance and we had video of a drug deal going down where the guy was dealing fentanyl off of a scale off of a floor. Um, and he had a, like a six month old baby that was crawling around on the ground right next yeah. to this fentanyl. Yeah. And if you would, you know, anyone who knows anything about fentanyl, if you dip your finger in it, mm-hmm. you get like three grains of salt worth and you put it into you, especially if you're not have any kind of tolerance to fentanyl that could kill you, especially a baby. Sure. Oh well, yeah. And so the frustrating part is, well, you can't burn your spy. You mm-hmm. can't like do, you know, you can't uh, compromise a, a bigger case. So you have to yeah. wait and you can't immediately go in mm-hmm. and save that child. Yeah. Right. And so I'm going home after watching all this and watching these two addicts and dealers, yeah. you know, raise these children, you know, in this horrible <laughs> environment. Mm-hmm. And then my kids the same age, I'm going home and they have everything they're taken care of. And it's, it's, it's just a mind trip of how different. Yeah, that is. Especially when you only live a couple miles from these people yeah you know well it's mind-blowing too to see and like i think when you're around it a lot as a cop you get kind of used to it but it's mind-blowing to see when you're um working around criminals involved in the dope game how often their kids are around that stuff like it's nothing like but like you'll see um like on interdiction stops with vehicles where they're hiding dope like in their kids car seat or like in their kids clothes and stuff like that like yeah that's just the kids are that close to it and it's it's mind-boggling as a parent 
to just see that these people just let their kids around these god-awful dangerous substances just without any regard for their safety whatsoever man and that just that just speaks to how powerful that substance would be you know that you would oh yeah endanger your children or because what i found a lot of times too is these you know i did a lot of um sitting in the jail and doing jailhouse interviews you know trying to get people to to work mm-hmm. with us. And a lot of the times you would find that they don't want to be in that situation. They got yeah. bit by something they had, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you'll see guys, especially the opiate uh, addicts, they were, you know, working in some capacity, broke their leg, did something like that, got on prescription pills and they yeah. couldn't kick it. Or, yeah. you know, somebody had some horrible calamity happen to them. And I'm not saying like they're completely blameless and like, Oh, oh of my, course. Yeah. You know, my daughter died now I'm going to smoke meth. And that's not what I'm saying. It's not always a black and white situation, but, but people have different coping mechanisms. Everyone's right. wired differently. And if they have that access in that poor community, mm-hmm. then you're going to go and do that drug. And it just grabs a hold of people, man. We had one guy who was a um, chemical engineer student out of law. He went and got a job two years out of high school or two years out of college uh, was making one hundred ninety thousand dollars a year. Was driving this really nice Porsche. Comes up to me uh, because he um, he uh, went and got b- bought meth from uh, Houston, and we happened to be doing uh, road construction at the time. And there was two uh, officers doing a slow roll. He comes riding around all the traffic and literally wedges his car in between the two cop cars. And when they asked him what was going on, he's like, "Man, it was like I was driving in a video game." So I started talking to him. I was like, "Well." How did you get into meth? He's like, man, I was part of a frat in when mm. I was at, and we found out that it was about the same time that I was a cop there, um, and oh. he had ended up, you know, using drugs frequently and just couldn't kick the meth. Yeah. So he ended up was able to hold on and be a functional meth user mm-hmm. at a chemical engineering job, making one hundred ninety thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Until it just finally got to the point where he'd spent all of his money, his wife left him, his, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And he ends up, you know, crashed out into a bunch of cops there on a road. Mm-hmm. You know, like what, I don't know of very many other things that would motivate a person to throw away everything yeah, and come out and do that. And so that speaks to how powerful these substances are. But when, oh, you, yeah. you know, it's a very, very important job to do. Um, but society just is not interested in it being done. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. you know, I, I agree that, you know, a lot of times cops could have been, and no, it's, it's not even a, an argument really, you know, when you talk about specific marijuana laws and stuff like that, you know, that's, that's going away. That's something where, you know, we have wasted a lot of time and resources as law enforcement on marijuana. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're just enforcing the laws that are, that our elected officials are putting into place and setting aside for us, you know, um, the fentanyl epidemic that is here now, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he's going to go away anytime soon and it's It's only going to get worse. It's, it's very, very scary. We were talking earlier in the week about kids getting a hold of hot pills in high schools Mm -hmm. and the DEA releasing information on, you know, finding counterfeit pills. And every time that they're coming in, three out of five of them contain a lethal dose, an LD 50 lethal dose, 50% of the population of fentanyl. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's well, going to be a bad time. We've had stuff like that happen here in the area we work. We've had um, accidental overdoses, and well, that's it's more common than people realize. Right. I mean, so. uh, almost all cops nowadays are, are carrying Narcan. That was yeah. unheard of five yeah. years ago. We, we carry it all day, every day. You know, Absolutely. We use it a couple of times, too. Yeah. <laughs> so. So to kind of wrap it all up, you know, I'd, I'd finally reached, you know, that point in my career where I was just like, 
you know, there's still always going to be the problems of the public. Yeah. There's always going to be the problems of the admin. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be perfect. Um, but I know how I react in critical incidences. And I know that I was going to always push forward and push forward and push forward. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, until something stopped me. Um, and so I made the decision for myself that, especially with me having a one and a half year old and a five year old, that this is not for me anymore. Right. And so what ended up happening was I, um, I think everything happens for a reason, man. Um, and I was having a bad time at work. Um, having some, having some issues, nothing like disciplinary wise, just interpersonal coworker issues, like people driving you nuts, you know? Um, so I was, I was like, man, you know what? I've tried five times now to Mm. find a good place where I'm just left alone, left to do my talent, left to do my life's work, which is police work, which from the time I was 16 all the way to, you know, I'm 33 now. So half my life was dedicated to the craft of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm just like, you know, I've got it. Um, and so I just figured, you know, it's not worth it anymore. You know, I, I have two degrees, um, master peace officer, and I was on a, a task force, which also paid extra, but it all worked out in the wash to yeah. $25 an hour. Yeah. And which is rough. Well, real quick, I, I don't know if we are getting to this point or, we, if, or if we kind of breezed over it, but correct me if I'm wrong, you were a tactical team. Um, oh, yeah. I totally skipped over all operator of that. as well. <laughs> I was correct tra- me if I'm wrong, you were a tactical team leader. Yeah, SR, SRT team leader. So okay. we were not tier one, right? That designation sure. of SWAT, you got to know how to repel and come out of helicopters and <laughs> yeah. use night vision and stuff like that. We got to have funding. We were we were a team that was trying to be formed to kind of change the culture of law enforcement in that county at the time. Okay. Right. Yeah. So one thing I guess to explain to people, cause I know some of our listeners may not understand this concept around the greater metropolitan areas of Texas, the constables have the same exact powers and responsibilities as a deputy, uh, right. a sheriff's deputy. Yeah. Um, so I think the largest constables agency in, in the, in the nation is actually in Harris County and it's Harris County constable precinct four. They have mm-hmm. uh, over 500 deputies on the street that are acting just like Harris County Sheriff's Office would. I see. So that was the kind of the same flavor that we had, and we were trying to expand our responsibilities. Yeah. Um, because there was much of a need because that yeah. entire area is the most moved to zip code in the United States at the time. Wow. Still is a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were trying to form a tag team. It ended up being a um internet crimes against children and um, you know, those kind of warrants. Yeah. Um and yeah. like human trafficking warrants uh, yeah. that we were serving most of, you know. Yeah, and like I guess for some clarification too, like the the internet crimes against children, the ICAC stuff, that's like child pornography. Right. A lot of that and uh, some other things as well. But No, and actually the uh, the Secret Service is involved in that. They, um, they're they always watching, especially when it comes to, to that kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't know how anyone is ever able to get away with child mm. pornography nowadays with all the fail-safes that we have. Yeah, it's um, a... But it's it's definitely a sick business. But yeah. no, I I was a team leader for a little while there, uh, probably about a year and a half. Um, you know, one of the big lessons I took from that was, especially that was the first time I've ever been in charge of anybody, okay. um, other yeah. than just myself. I've never had rank. I've never been an FTO ever, mm-hmm. anything like that. So, um, you definitely have to have. You have to put your team first. Right. Because no one is going to listen to you when it counts. Mm -hmm. If 
you aren't willing to do it yourself and they know that. Yeah. So you're always first to do anything, mm-hmm. right? And if you have something, they should have more. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just something that you have to do, especially when you talk about dealing with cops. We sense that. We sense leadership from each other. We know what a leader looks like and we Absolutely. know what a leader is not. Yeah. Right? And if we're on this team and I'm asking you to do something in which you could possibly become maimed or killed, mm-hmm. you have to be able to trust me and I have to trust you. Of right? Course. So always, yeah. always, always put the team first and put other, you know, the other people first. So um, that was one of my main takeaways from that. Um, and it definitely gave me the opportunity to make a lot of contacts, um, on the tactical side of things, tactical medics, you know, different teams operating, uh, that led me into and really set me up well for my Haida career. Awesome. So, um, and this career too, um, becoming an end user, um, of a lot more equipment. Um, yeah. you know, it was, it was very, very cool. Cool. Well, tell us more about that. Like, so, um, this last agency you worked at whenever, you know, things are just, there, there's a lot going on, but mm-hmm. there's things going on at that agency and you decide it's kind of time to get out and you start looking for something else. Right. Tell us about what you find. And so, you know, I started getting on places like, um, zip recruiter and job monster. And it's almost like every time my job would like make me mad, I would just <laughs> go look for an application or fill out an application. Right. Yeah. And so I end up, um, you know, doing that for a while. And I just kind of, every couple of days I would, I would be in kind of this cycle of, okay, it's not that bad. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep, you know, keep the fight and just kind of in this stagnant kind of rotation where it was driving me nuts. Maybe it lasted maybe like two or three months where I was just in that cycle of, yeah, it's not that bad here. Okay. It really sucks. I should leave. Okay. It's not that bad here. (laughs) And so yeah, randomly I get a call from a Wyoming number on my phone and there's only 500,000 people that live in Wyoming. So there's no way that it's a telemarketer. So I, I pick it up and um, it's this guy that is a law enforcement, you know, he works for primary arms, right? So okay. he's yeah. a he's a law enforcement equipment distributor. And I happen to be in their system because of the time that I was an SRT team leader, I had uh, bought about $20,000 worth of ammunition from him, okay. right, for yeah. the team. Lots of training ammo. Right. So um, he comes and hits me up and doing what I do now, which is almost like a cold call and saying, hey, man, you know, I see you're on, you know, the team. I'd like to meet with you to see what's, you know, I'm outside your office. And at the time I was on the Hyde Task Force, I'm like, which office? You know, I have a couple. (laughs) And so he says, oh, I'm over at this one. And I was like, oh, I don't work there anymore, but I'll meet you. He's like, I'll do you one better. Just meet me across the street at the HEB. So I go meet this random man. Mm Mm-hmm from wyoming <laughs> um and he rolls up in a nissan pathfinder and his trunk is full of guns and he starts showing me all this stuff giving me the primary oh, yeah. arms spiel like we're a glock blue distributor you know all that kind of stuff showing me all the guns all the optics yeah and i was like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i'm not gonna buy anything are y'all hiring right now and <laughs> i said well the first question i asked him was uh i said hey man do you have any other previous sales experience he goes no i've been a cop for uh, 13 years I say, oh, okay. Okay. So that kind of, I was like, are y'all hiring? He goes, as a matter of fact, we are. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, talk to him about that. He gave me his information. I said, you know what? I'm going to think about it. That that sounds, just sounds really good. I sat on that information for about three weeks. Yeah. Because I wasn't ready. Yeah. And I I, I thought I was, but then I I was like, I was just like, do I really want to jump off of the highest point of my career? Yeah. And and go and do this thing. Well, and so- Correct me if I'm wrong. I know we were we were talking the other night at dinner, and then while we were responding to tornado search and rescue. But 
at the time that you met this guy in this H-E-B parking lot and everything, mm-hmm. you were doing task force stuff. Did you just get done buying meth? Like, in, <laughs> like <laughs> We had just done a case, uh, man, like where um, we were we were working with a spy and I don't know how much I could talk about because I don't know where the status of the case is. Yeah, no, I mean, don't. But I mean, yeah. we were essentially, we were working with a spy and we had organized a buy just before that. And I may or may not have been on the way to the office to <laughs> drop the evidence. So um, yeah, man, it kind of, sometimes stuff like that happens. Yeah. Um, you know, being in between those two places. Um yeah, I just don't know how much I can talk about that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're totally good. But I, I guess my, my point in bringing that up is just like you are at this like point in your career where sure. you're doing some pretty high level, pretty cool guy stuff. Right. You know? Yeah, I'd, I'd found myself, I think, you know, the last raid that I organized um, was actually to get those kids that I told you about with the, okay. the fentanyl on the floor. Yeah. And I had, you know, in all the other raids that I'd been a part of or, you know, usually just my tech team will go talk to your tech team and we'll, we'll figure something out together. Right. So we yeah, went yeah. and was talking to a DPS's tech team and it was just me up there. You know, I told them kind of the rundown, they asked questions or information. They ran their own little stuff, started doing whatever. And they said, Oh, okay. Well, since we are DPS, you got to come back and, mm-hmm. you know, tell us again at the, at the headquarters and there'll be a couple more people there and stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I walk in this room at DPS headquarters in Houston and there is just like, six texas rangers like a couple of captains a couple of you know just just lieutenants brass corporals majors all that stuff like and all these other tech guys plus the tech medics plus all their support team plus analysts (laughs) i'm just like and they're like okay go ahead you know go ahead and brief us and i'm just like (laughs) Um, hello all 70 of you (laughs) and so i was just like man this is crazy um but that was the last thing i did we went over we we raided the house, got the kids out, and that was it, man. I was cool. I was out, and yeah, we can spend a little time talking about you know life afterwards. But um, you know, right, yeah. one thing that I will say that the biggest thing I've learned in the almost year that I've been out of law enforcement is you don't realize how much trauma you have built up because you you save it day to day to day. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 builds up inside of you. You're not if you're not taking care of it. If you're not have a healthy way to release it, then um, you know, it really can build up fast and you get to a point where you don't realize how much that affects your family and those around you. Right. Until you're yeah, out of it and you're that like, makes sense. well, if you just look back on my behavior and I'm like, Oh, well that's why was I acting that way? And then you look at it compared to where you are now, where you're not stressed for your life. Mm-hmm. You're not having those, Oh, having to look over your back at every corner, not just from the bad guys, but from admin from, yeah. you know, yeah. The public, the the oh, news. Yeah. Everybody's out to get you. <laughs> yeah. Cop, it it so. doesn't, it's not, a, it's not a good deal. And I, I'd be surprised, you know, I'm surprised every time I see people wanting to be cops nowadays. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, I'm, and that's just, this is again, this is me personally talking. Mm-hmm. This is my journey, right? Mm-hmm. I have not, I have nothing but utmost respect for people who are still cops nowadays. I just wish I could be among them. Right. But, you know, yeah. it's just, I wish I had you know, enough courage to be among them. But I, I had to take a point where I was like, what am I doing here? Where's my priority at? I just mm-hmm. re yeah. re my priority. The other thing too, is like cops don't have the same reception to the, to when they retire, like military would, 
right? Like there's yeah. no there's no Veterans Day for cops, right? Now I'm mm-hmm. not saying we're like in some war out there and we should be treated differently. It's not quite the same, but it's, it's not quite the same. But I mean, it's yeah. You have guys who will go 30, 45 years, and oh, we have a cake and a watch for you. You know, and there's no other, <laughs> yeah. like, there's no VA for cops. Mm-hmm. You know, not yeah. that that's a shining yeah. thing on the hill. It's just, it's just okay. <laughs> Thirty years of service and see you, buddy. Pizza party in the break room at noon. <laughs> well, I think people have trouble with that because their uh, lifestyle that they've known right. for twenty to thirty years oh, is yeah. now gone. Yeah, and um, divorcing your identity from yeah, it. And, yeah. and then you're you're replaceable. Like you, no matter how oh, badass yeah. you are or oh, anything yeah. like that, yeah. no matter what you done with your department, how you built it, whatever, yeah, you're replaceable. And then all of a sudden, it's like, yep. who was Jones? Oh, that's some guy that worked here years ago. Yeah. I'm not sure what he. You know, I, I don't know. They, they, uh, they talk about him. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know him. I've forgotten. I talked to a guy one time that um had recently left law enforcement and everything, and had spent. He did like I want to say like 18 or 19 years somewhere in there. He's getting close to 20, and then due to stuff going on in his life, he went ahead and got out. Um, but he was saying, you know that was his life and everything. And he remembers a week after he got out just in the town that, you know, he lives in, he was going out to front of the grocery store, do something. And, you know, someone else, some other cop is already driving his, his unit, his car right. and is already doing his, like he just like that, you know, what and, moves on without you. Dude. Yeah. He, he remembers feeling like, Oh wow. Like, okay. So well, I would say that would be my message to any cop considering to get out. There is other careers out there. You don't just have to sell insurance or, yeah. Or be a, you know, home inspector or whatever, you know, car salesman. There's plenty sure. of other jobs for us. Firearms industry, they so always hire things. cops to want to push their product. That's what I'm into right now. Yeah. Um, that's really been a field that I've seen um that's coming up. You know, mm-hmm. they every one of these companies, I'm talking major manufacturers, they want cops with that end user experience that can go into a police station, speak the language, you know, level yeah. with people and get them the equipment that they need. Exactly. Um so don't ever feel trapped. Don't ever feel like you don't have any options. Cause I fell into that trap a lot where first of all, my identity was very heavily wrapped up in being a cop. Yeah. I was very proud of it. I tell anybody mm-hmm. who asked, right. Oh, yeah. And I'll still talk about it, you know? Yeah. But you know, that on top of what do you have after society starts looking back down on you after admin starts looking back down on you. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, where does that leave you? It leaves you with nothing. Yeah. And then the only thing that you can really take from a law enforcement career is your own personal satisfaction that you made a difference Yeah. because it's not about like the rest of society. It's about the little girl who's still mm-hmm. alive because of your actions. It's about the oh, yeah. dad who went to jail, you know, because he was beaten up on his wife and kids and now they mm-hmm. have a better life and they have an actual shot to thrive. Exactly. You know, it's about the, it's, it's about the ones that you'll never be able to know how you had such a deep hand in their life. And, yeah. And that's, that's why, a lot of us, we've talked about this at length this week, are frustrated with the the way law enforcement is going now is because it's not us that's yeah. suffering. Mm-hmm. It's the helpless that are yes. suffering because we cannot provide them a better service mm-hmm. and we cannot help them out of their situation. Well, it's a jacked up situation because the people out there who need help, these kids, these these other folks who need help, they're out here, they're out there and their need has not changed and these bad things are happening. And then in kind of a sick twisted way the cops are the ones getting blamed for their right. suffering like we're out there trying to help but the way the system is increasingly kind of moving against good cops who want to do good work it's i don't know it's like here's a problem we want you to go fix it but don't really fix it right. if you do fix it you're in trouble and it's it's twisted well the, the irony to to um less law enforcement less enforcement period um is that it turns around and it affects lower income 
right areas of town disproportionately higher, higher oh, yeah. income or higher crime portions of of the, of the city it affects that worse there's still in, in just there's still just as many cops in the suburbs right now as before mm-hmm. all this stuff happened but the mm-hmm. thing is is like i had the opportunity to go to st louis uh for my work for a conference you see no cops really at all yeah um crime is very apparent half the buildings are abandoned and you in my adult life i'm six four i got this crazy looking mustache on my face (laughs) and i've never had somebody tell me hey man don't go out at night and don't go more than four blocks away from the hotel during the day or something will probably happen and oh by the way if you see the cops pulling somebody over, run the other way because there's going to be a shooting. Lo and behold, a week after that, there was actually a video of undercover St. Louis cops chasing a dude down who was shooting over his shoulder at them as they're running on foot, and they run him over with a minivan. Oh, I think I saw that. Right. That yeah. was literally a week after I was there. I was like, okay, I see what they were talking about now. Yeah. But that yeah. is – the there's many cities that that same thing is yeah. is repeated over and over and over again. That sounds like such a foreign concept to places like here in the Panhandle. Where oh, yeah. You it's, have functional communities. Yeah, they've yeah, got their different. issues, but they're not like – you guys aren't no. having homeless people on the side of the road, yeah. you know, all this stuff. It's It all goes back to – where is the basis local government is so important right and the mm-hmm. cops are the yep. are the, the 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 center of that they're the yeah. foundation of that if you don't have competent people who are willing to do the job well yeah the rest of everything that leans on that mm-hmm. also comes down yeah oh yeah it's it's true i mean that's not an overblown statement yeah i don't understand why certain of the media politicians uh people that have money and influence I mean, it sounds maybe sounds a little bit wild, but what what is the point of it? Is conspiracy? What they want to destroy America? I mean, that sounds like you know real redneck or maybe uneducated. <laughs> yeah. But what there has to be something behind that because some of these people that are pushing these narratives are not stupid people. They're not. They're intelligent, yeah, right? Yeah. And you have to. I mean, they have to see that very simple math that mm-hmm. like, hey, if you have enforcement here in these communities, it helps it. It helps the community. Yeah. It keeps them safer. Right. They have to see that to. Two plus two is four. Right. Yeah. But for some reason, they don't want to um, support that. I think for what lot. purpose? Why? Why do they want? Yeah. That? I, I mean, there, I think there's a multitude of reasons that go into explaining that. I think part of it, maybe a big part of it is the way that social media influences people's thought right. process nowadays. And but what's the purpose um, of social media uh, putting narratives yeah. like that? Like, what, what is the end game to all this I would, madness? I would yeah. say this specific, and I've thought a lot on the social media issue. You know, you talk about 30 years ago. Most people would go around and they would know their family, couple friends, maybe somewhere where around they went to school, yeah. or they would know somebody, you know, uh, just have a handful of friends. And mm-hmm. all their news and all their world would be what they would see on the evening news, what they'd hear on the radio, and what their friends would tell them. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, globally, oh, if yeah. something goes down, yeah, we would hear about it and we'd hear about that mm-hmm. calamity. So if from the outside looking in, it seems like there's this huge uptick yeah. of police brutality all of a sudden. And, yeah. you know, the critics of what I'm saying would say, oh, well, it's always been there. It's just coming to the light. No, no. <laughs> it's it's actually less now than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just being recorded on video. And with the public's lack of understanding of how cops work in the first place, yeah, it's going to look bad oh, almost yeah. every time. Oh, yeah. So wh- there's no winning in that situation. We need our politicians. We need our leaders to educate mm-hmm. their constituents on what we're trying to do. Yeah. Policing should be bipartisan. It should be oh, one of yeah. the most uh, bipartisan things that is 
Like it should be completely agreeable because at the end of the day, we all want the same things. We want our kids to be safe. Yeah. We want our families to thrive and we want to be prosperous. We all want that healthy balance of safety and freedom. Right. Like. Absolutely. But I mean, until the, you know, population all of a sudden just becomes better at problem solving and communicating with one another. I don't think it's going to get any better anytime yeah. soon. Oh gosh. Yeah. Not to be like doom and gloom, but like yeah. it's when you have a narrative push by, yeah. by media, by every uh, app, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know how you combat that when it, when it's, when it starts to become entrenched in your educational system, it's like, well, what do you do with that? What, how, how do you combat that? Because eventually, and it's slow. I mean, relatively, right. it seemed like it sped up over the last, call it five to eight years. Right. But, that's been happening for the, several decades, just very, very slowly, just just, mm-hmm. just changing America little and little. changing how people perceive things. I know that, I think I read somewhere that like in the late uh, 1800s, maybe early 1900s, the average American citizen, it's probably in the 1800s, their entire life, they never traveled more than 50 miles from their home. Right. So they had a very small, you know, look at I've what, heard this, what, what... I've heard the same analogy, and they also said it was the amount of information they would consume was equivalent to five Sunday papers. Yes. That's it. Their and, entire lifetime. Right. Wow. And, and our, I didn't know that. Our complete like society right now is overload of, of scrolling and yeah. getting information all the time. And I can see at any point the worst thing that's happening on the planet. So if you're not focusing on the positive, you're not doing that in a healthy way, you're going to yeah. think that everything is terrible. You're going to think that they're out to get you, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you're somebody who just listens to what around you and you're in, an un, in a less privileged community and you have these cops and you're viewing them as oppressors and people who are going to attack you and people who are going to only do worse for you mm-hmm. how are we supposed to come out of that how are we supposed to win that's a good question i don't know if anyone has any kind of perfect easy solution i mean and who would want to walk into that job yeah understanding that they could be labeled those things oh yeah well, you gotta- well, which is, that's why we have the shortage that we have today Correct. You know, and, and people yeah. leaving it good cops leaving it yeah. they just yeah what's going to happen uh in a few years if it continues to get worse you're going to have a a very a bigger problem what you've got today yeah yeah it's uh not to be all doom and gloom but it's not looking good so. not looking good but you know it's i i believe in texas i believe in america yeah. i believe in people will eventually yeah the equilibrium will swing back i think Things, we're starting to see some yeah. of that but you know it's going to be time to, yeah. but the what people don't understand is that any little change like that dramatically affects society and even though you're not seeing it yeah. and we're seeing it every day multiple times a day the yep. effects of these crazy decisions yep it's it's almost like they're tone deaf you know yeah. they they, they oh, don't yeah. know and i don't want the message to ever get across to the public that we're against them no we that, are the public man yeah like, know? <laughs> that's what people often overlook i think is like like cops go home at the end of the day and like they live in neighborhoods like you right. like i mean like it's we're not some kind of like superheroes or anything like that. It's just a job. Absolutely. It's just a very particular set of problems that this job deals with. Right. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, like we, we live here too. Like we want our communities to be nice, mm-hmm. you know, places for our families to be raised in and everything. So it's, uh, yeah, this disconnect between law enforcement and the community, we've got to find a way to rectify it, but it's going to take people on both sides working towards it. Absolutely. So. Hey, and you, you said it. Uh, you mentioned something that's not looking good, but what does look good is weapons and products and gear from Primary Arms. That's right, that and I think uh, 
<laughs> I think that's probably the next thing we need to talk about if we take a short break. Yeah, we'll yeah. have a short break and then we'll yeah. have uh, some some information about all that stuff. <laughs> huh? All right. That sounds good. Yeah. Sweet. All right. So we're back from the break. Um, now we're we're going to kind of wrap up this episode with uh, Mr. Andy Blauser. He's working for Primary Arms Government now. Um, Andy, tell us a little bit about that and what you do now. So now what I do is I partner with agencies and uh, mainly agencies, but individual officers as well. So that's state, local, and federal. And we just try to get them the equipment that they need, right? So we mm-hmm. have a very successful commercial site at Primary Arms, and they leverage that position to get really good relationships with bunches and bunches of manufacturers so that we can pass on those savings to our agencies, right? And our CEO um, is, you know, a lot of people do lip service and say, oh yeah, we support law enforcement or whatever. He, he means it. Um, okay. Some of the, some of the prices that we give on stuff is, is crazy. Yeah. Um, it's really, really, um, we use our experience, you know, all of our outside sales team is former law enforcement. Uh, some of our inside sales team is former law enforcement and we really like to leverage our experience and what we've seen out in the industry uh, to make sure that that agency has access to that equipment and that they also just have the knowledge of what's out there, right? You know, because a lot yeah. of times people will come up and they'll um, they'll just say, hey, I want some rifles, and they have mm-hmm. no idea um, what that entails or, or what they want. Like, and then the other end, I'll get the, the power user who's telling me specific absolute things that he wants, and we have that too. So, yeah. um, you know, it's easier to say what well, we don't have. We don't have cars, computers, and tasers. You know, I feel like we're trying okay. to be the uh, Amazon law enforcement a little bit. Rock so, on. Well, we are based out of Houston, Texas, and uh, here in the next episode, I'm really excited to uh, go more in de- detail on it and really let y'all know what's going yeah. on. It's going to be awesome. Um, and yeah, for for those listening, watching, whatever, um, stay tuned. There's We're going to do another um, episode with Andy, um, kind of covering primary arms uh, and what they offer, and he's going to go over some really awesome products, optics, and stuff that they have out now that are kind of hitting the streets and being used by guys in the field in a, in a professional capacity. So um, that'll be probably a, kind of a YouTube exclusive thing if you really actually want to see these things and um, get a good look at them. So stay tuned for that. Um, but as far as episode 10-4 goes, um, Andy, you got any final thoughts? Well, just thank you for having me out, man. Thank you hey, for man, giving me a, uh, a place to... Uh, <laughs> to leave my mark and, and record my story. I I'm definitely uh, appreciative of it. There's a, there's been a lot of people in my career who've supported me and people who I count as my brothers and my sisters. And I know at least Jones here, you know, I count you among those, um, kind of a, uh, a work dad. And I'm sure if we had the <laughs> opportunity to work together, um, we would have been able to, to be friends as well. Yeah. Um, law enforcement, is and always will be who I am, right? I don't think I can ever change that. Um, but um, moving forward into the future, you know, I just want to make sure that anyone who puts themselves out there to protect their community, that they're taken care of. And Absolutely. if there's any small way that I can do that now, that's where I'm going to land. Yep. Um, you know, love your family, love each other, and take care of yourself Um, because you can't go out and save the world if you're you're messed up yourself so that would be my you know my biggest message and uh 
just thank you for having me, man. It's it's been a it's been a real experience. Um unforgettable trip to the panhandle <laughs> for <Yeah>. real. <laughs> to say the least. Um yeah. it's uh <laughs> it's it's definitely been a ride. Um and who knows, man. Maybe I'll saddle up again one day. I I don't yeah. know. Um who knows? Who knows, man. Yeah. But uh for anyone else who's who's been out there and, and listened for the entire three and a half hours, uh thank you <laughs> for lending me your ear and and I hope this uh episode gave y'all some understanding of uh what what we go through out here uh, for you guys, man. Um, it's nothing but love and um, love for our fellow man that, that really drives us at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank, thank you for cool. having me. Hey, man, thanks for coming on. It's it's truly been an honor. I don't say that lightly. Um, I actually, I heard a lot about you before you came on, and um, I was told many times that, hey, this guy, is he's one of us. He's one of the good ones. He's, he's cut from the same cloth. Y'all got to get along well together, and – they were not wrong. So appreciate it. Thank appreciate you, you coming. Very on. kind, Jones. Anything, man? It's just glad to have you up here. Glad to see you again. Super glad that you're doing well. Um, uh, I've seen a lot of people come and go from uh, the sheriff's office, man, and, and you've always stuck with me for as uh, as much as it, any of them have. Probably more, man. I don't know why or whatever. I think <laughs> I can see your soul, bro. I know you're yeah. a good dude. I know <laughs> yeah. you're a cop. Kind of wear my kind of wear my feelings on my sleeve. A yeah, little yeah, bit. <laughs> but I mean, no, I mean, I know you're a good person. Yeah. You're a good cop. You're a go getter. Yeah, uh, you might have uh, drove in from Houston the the all night to come to work <laughs> during the day, which probably wasn't the best thing in the world. But <laughs> you always did what was asked, man. And you and you didn't. You weren't lazy. You went out there and you, you were a cop. Right. And uh, I saw that. Not everybody that works for us or anywhere is, is a cop. Just because right. you're in law enforcement doesn't right. mean you're a cop. That's that's kind of a thing that I've come up with. If I call you a cop, it's a compliment. I appreciate it. It means yeah. that you've oh, uh, yeah. that you're, you're you're just doing what you're supposed to do out there on the street, man. And I, I saw that in you uh, pretty well from the beginning when I got to know you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad you rock along good and safe. And I'm super happy that you're married and have some kiddos and get to experience <laughs> that, man. And yeah, glad you, we've kept our relationship going and communicate from time to time. And, and that you come up here and got to experience the uh, Periton tornado with us and shooting <laughs> shooting firearms in the morning and doing tornadoes in the evening. And it was what are the odds? good stuff, man. It was You couldn't have rolled a dice better. And I, and I appreciate you saying so, Jones. And, uh, just from what I've seen, you know, you guys are you guys are on top of it out here. It's it's very refreshing to see that there's still some places out here that are doing it the right way. Yeah, well, we appreciate very it. very good. Y'all y'all have something to be proud of. Well, we're trying, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, cool. Hey, with that, we'll uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. See ya.